Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining us from San Diego is Eric Kaufman. And Eric has a new book out called Leadership Breakdown. And the subtitle is How Conscious Leaders Generate Breakthroughs That Enrich Business and the World. Good day to you, Eric. How are you doing? I am great, Greg. Wonderful to be here with you and to see you again. Well, it's a pleasure seeing you. He and I got to meet just prior to uh, actually uh, doing this podcast. And we had a nice talk about the book and a bunch of other things. And it was a lot of fun. I want to let my listeners know, we'll put a link. Eric has a, he has several books, but the book that we did an interview for was podcast 484, Leadership as a Hero's Journey. Um, and I was telling Eric that was back in 2014. I can't believe that it's been nine years <laughs> since uh, we've actually done a podcast together. But that has been nine years ago. That's a very interesting podcast because I was listening to pieces of it. Um, I'm going to let our audience know a little bit about you, Eric, before we get dive into this juicy book that every conscious leader should read, understand, and gain the wisdom from. His work as a coach, author, and speaker is shaped by a journey which includes two decades of leadership coaching and consulting, management roles at Fortune 100 firms, degrees in business and psychology, 30 years of Zen practice, uh, living in Israel and South Africa, teaching as a master scuba diver, uh, diving instructor, working as a certified hypnotherapist, and meditating in a year-long retreat in an isolated cabin he built in the mountains of New Mexico. Um, if you want to know more about Eric and his team and his company that does coaching, uh, you can go to Sagata, S-A-G-A-T-I-A.com. That's Sagata.com. There you can learn about their services and the books that he's written, his newsletter. Uh, I encourage everybody to do that. Well, Eric, again, we're back to talking to you. Whoops, I almost dropped it about this book. And the journey through this book, as I was reviewing it, was really, really interesting. And we talked when we met in Del Mar about David Bronner, the CEO of Bronner's All One Magic Soap Company. Most of our listeners out there probably know about it. You've seen it at Costco. It's around. He writes that your work has helped him to understand early on that a cosmic leader, he called himself. I thought that's interesting that his ideas push the envelope of what people believe is possible. Um, how have you helped David become more of a conscious leader? And can you define what a conscious leader is for our listeners? Uh, the first thing that I'm going to say is, you know, David is a remarkable leader, right? In, in both business and way beyond the business and sort of the larger community. So when you ask how did I work with him and, and how do I define conscious leadership? There are three features. I think there are three things that I can think of that make him remarkable. Um, one is his, to, to your point, he calls himself the CEO, the chief, no, the cosmic engagement. Cosmic. He's cosmic, cosmic engagement officer, right? Yeah. And so, you know, the first thing about him is he's genuinely committed to this idea of all one, the oneness of all things. And I'll right. come back to that. The second thing that's remarkable about him is he's deeply curious. And the third is that he's really fond of paradox and where things don't quite make sense and how to make sense of them. And those are actually three really salient features of a conscious leader, right? Understanding the interconnectedness of all of life, how everything depends on everything else and everything is affected by everything else and there's cause and effect all around us and being really deeply curious about you know, yourself, other people, the world around you, and not shying away from paradox and the and the sort of, um, you know, hard to fathom, but embracing it. You know, that's kind of, you know, paradox is, is an opening to mystery, you know, because we are at the edge of our logic and reason when we're faced with paradox. How could this and this happen at the same time? And when we face into that, we are actually growing in consciousness. And so, um, in our time together, he came to realize one of the things that I think are 
really worked with David and with other leaders is that there is no organizational transformation without personal transformation. You know, you're the CEO, you're the leader. The company doesn't change without you making some changes, right? right. And so um, I think I've been really helpful for David in the ongoing coaching and application of this sort of professional and personal development that by his own account has supported his vision of being more influential with his executive team while still cultivating collaboration and trust. So um, I think the net result has been more distributed power, more distributed responsibility, um, and in his team, more accountability and more empowerment. So, um, Well, it's a, as you know, for most people like David, and there are other leaders out there like them, lots of them, um, it's really more about we than me. It's really more about connection versus and cooperation versus competition. Um, they know all of those elements and they live them um, all the way down to who they are as people. And I've met leaders like that, that are really that committed. And it is interesting to find them. And you state that business leaders of today are the de facto, de facto shapers of society. You then go on to mention that our capitalistic system has trained them to beat the competition to ensure the winners take all. Um, speak with us about the stewardship responsibility and the share and shareholder capitalism, because if these two elements are embedded inside of an organization, you do see so much more cooperation than competition. Um, and this is the way that the world needs to evolve. Because if we're going to solve any of our problems, as the Dalai Lama says, um, we all need to be more compassionate with one another. We all need to be more compassionate with one another. That's one aspect that, you know, you asked me before the definition of a conscious leader and, and we're getting into it, right? What is this stewardship component that's part of that? I would define in the simplest way that the conscious leader is a leader who leads with wisdom, love, and power, right? And we'll, we'll get more into it. I know we'll pack, yeah. unpack it as we go forward, but okay. you know, this, this, you know, the shareholder capitalism that we're familiar with is an invention that basically came along somewhere around 250 or so years ago, right around the time of the industrial revolution, right? So we've had 250 years of this kind of capitalist model that is based on competition, eliminating the competition. I mean, I remember when I came out of college and I went into my first sales job, my sales manager, my colleagues, everyone around us was like, win at all costs, right? Destroy the competition. Weren't you, you know, selling copiers? I'm selling copiers, yeah. I mean, <laughs> wasn't it? Was things. it Xerox? It was. Um, it was 3M actually, and it was okay. 3M Lanier. So we were selling the copiers, and it was. Yeah. It was a grind of a job, man. You know, this was we I had to carry hey, a copier in the back of I my know. truck and haul it around <laughs> and try and close these poor schmucks in the you know the, the, the travel agent who didn't even want to see a sales guy coming in hauling a copier, and so you know it was it was competitive, it was intense, it was. You were your best friend was a rolling cart. <laughs> it was a gurney. It was a gurney that had the freaking copier. On, you know? Oh, that's wonderful, man. Um, Those are great stories. So, you know, it was, and that's how we were trained, and that's how you know our bosses were trained, and you know that's the sort of the um, the implicit nature of this kind of highly competitive space, and that's fine, by the way. This is one of the beautiful, the beautiful sort of notions of a paradox: is you can have competition. And you can have collaboration. Yes. So there's there isn't there isn't a discussion here, Greg, in conscious leadership as in don't be competitive because who the hell's going to listen to that? And that makes no sense. We want we want to compete against our own malaise. We want to compete our own against our own. You know, my my daughters when they were swimming, uh, competing in in swim and, and water polo, it was all about you know what was it called. PRs, right? The personal records. You want to beat your personal records, your PR. You want to beat the competition and this collaboration. It's not just collaboration, right? It's the fact that, um, to your point about 
leaders have become the de facto shapers of society. That's the real issue here, right? TikTok, Facebook, Fox News, MSNBC, Apple, Google, these juggernauts of business, they are defining what beauty means, what comfort means, what information we uptake, what we believe in, um, what we believe to be true, right? How we feel about the environment. How do we feel about our neighbors? That's why it's so critical that these de facto shapers of society begin to realize that they are not just you know, gaining from the commercial value, they are shaping. And so now the corporations, by the way, corporations are run by humans, right? Executives, they have this responsibility to be stewards because they have so much power, because they have so much authority, because they have so much influence. They have now landed in the place where they are the stewards. You either take care of this sort of total ecosystem of humanity or you screw it up. And we're seeing evidence of both right now. Well, they're playing such an important role on the psyche of individuals. I mean, it's one thing to speak about our environment, but when you really look at the minds of individuals being shaped by what they consume, exactly. and I will say that, that the reality, that is what defines our future. Because, you know, as they believe, so they create. So if you're going to create this world, and I, you know, you and I were talking about the Aztecs and Yukon before we got on, because we both live here in San Diego, and we would have liked to have seen them to win, but it's not about a win. It's about the journey toward that, that the team played and how far they actually made it and the congratulations that should be given to everybody there for even making it that far. Because they learn so much, you know, you learn so much, whether you win or you lose, you learn. It's what you take away from the situation. And you had an epiphany on your journey to conscious leadership. And I think if you could tell the listeners a bit about your seclusion, I mentioned it in the introduction, by living alone in the cabin in the mountains and giving away all your material possessions. And that's certainly a Zen thing. There's going to be some people that are listening that'll certainly relate to that. And it's not that all people who join the Zen uh, Buddhism do that, but there is something about releasing all of our worldly possessions to really get closer and make a connection to realize the oneness with the universe. And what did you realize about yourself and the world that you were living in? Greg, that is a um, huge question. Um, I should clarify, because a lot of people ask me this, I was not married at the time. <laughs> yeah, no, you clarified that for me. You but wouldn't I, have gotten I, away with it if you were married. <laughs> everyone asks, well, how did your wife put up with you be gone for a year? I'm like, no, I didn't have a wife at the time. That's how I could be gone for a year. But I mean, what did I realize? You know, one of the, uh, I'll cut to the chase. Interestingly, one of the most profound realizations I had, and there were there were many, but actually I was going to, uh, to your point, I had been really intensely involved in my spiritual and, and meditation and Zen practices, and I was working in corporate, and I came to a point where I felt like I was at a crossroads, right? Turn right and go down the familiar path of my corporate journey and get promoted, become an authority, more authority, more responsibility, become GM CEO, or turn left, follow my heart, follow my spirit, explore this kind of oneness of all life and the spiritual life and the meaning of life and live in sort of solitary way to really go deep um, and uh, be connected with spirit. And I decided to go right and to, uh, no, which one did I say? Left. <laughs> and leave the familiar, go way beyond my comfort zone um, and drop off the grid and, you know, give my stuff away, shave my head, build a cabin and so forth. There's so much I can talk about, but, you know, one of the most profound realizations I had in the midst of sort of minding my own business there, getting real quiet, um, you know, and it was interesting because I, I had, you know, getting quiet wasn't a given, you know, I, I had to really work at it. I mean, I've been, I was meditating eight, nine, 10 hours a day. I met my shadow and I almost lost my mind. I had to come face to face with my inner critic 
and learn to befriend it and to even love it and ultimately have it fall silent. Um, and when I got to the quietest, most sort of unified, transcendent state of, of my being, I had this revelation. The revelation was, you're going the wrong way. The revelation was, the deeper spiritual evolution for you is with wife and children and service to community. Mm -hmm. That blew my socks off, you know, because I was I was done. I was very I was gone from the world, right? And suddenly, in this quiet moment, to recognize that relationship, service, you know, being generative, making a contribution, is a spiritual path um, that is profoundly instructive and evolutionary was a great learning um and i found that you know what what brought me through this intense experience of that seclusion was was these three elements of wisdom love and power and that's really became sort of like okay so bring that into the world right how do you bring that as a, as a husband as a father as a community man as a leader as a coach as a friend and that's been the last 20 plus years of play for me. Well, it's a, it's great that you let our listeners know about that and know what the realization was. And I think many of us, and I'm going to make a comment even to myself, think about, hey, you know, I want to go off to India and go to an ashram or live in a, you know, in a cave for a while and meditate for however many months or, or a year. And I know I, I study under people who've done silent meditations, haven't spoken for like a full year in a silent meditation. In other words, a husband and wife, they couldn't sleep together. Uh, they literally were apart. They These are the people that have been teaching me meditation for years. I'll put a shout out to Dr. and Joel Michelle Levy. Um, the, the interesting thing is, is that the realization is that we all feel better internally, like you said, when we're making a contribution, some kind of contribution, contribution to our family, a contribution to the world, but making a contribution. Um, and that appears in so many different ways. Um, and in your way, it's actually working with people, getting them to understand that that's what they need to do. Um, and I won't just say make a contribution. I'll be say, hey, what can I do to change the world for the better? You know, that's a big statement. You know, Dr. Bronner's soap, environmentally friendly, sustainable, um, you know, a company that does those kind of things. And there's many of them, you know, and you write in the book that the number one barrier to executive effectiveness is ego myopia. Um, why is that so? And what are the three functions that you write about in the book of the ego? Ego's talked about a lot, but yeah, 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 yeah. Ego's talked about a lot. You know, I, I in my own spiritual journey and my own personal journey, and certainly I talked, you know, we talked just a moment ago about living in the cabin there for a year, and that was a silent year for me as well, right? So living in that way, I really came face to face with this ego construct, right? This this notion of the ego. And, you know, if we're going to grow and be more conscious, we fundamentally have to take into account how do we become less self-centered. You talked about contribution, right? Contribution is about tending to and giving to and caring for and attending to others, whether that's one other, many others, the entire world, but it is extending beyond our ego. Some of that motivation is still, you know, ego-based. I want to feel good. I want to look good. I want to be recognized. Fine. That's part of it. And part of it is really about, it's more than just me. And the term ego myopia is the term that I came up with as I looked around and said, what is the sort of, what is getting in the way of leaders being effective, of relationships being, you know, satisfying, of life being meaningful. And it comes to this egomyopia, the inability to see and manage our ego, this sort of narrow view of self that's small, contained, and separate. Um, now, for the record, before we go any further, 
there is no way to sort of be rid of the ego. That's not my objective, my recommendation, my invitation. The ego has, you know, it's a thing. It's a thing we need. It's, it, it, it has a function and a purpose. But uh, being caught in it, being myopic, being narrow is the sort of um, the, I don't know, it's the ground of being. It's the baseline of where we get all these problems. And a conscious leader, by definition, is somebody who's going to extend the consciousness beyond this ego myopic state. Um, so, you know. I, I think that's a great definition. And it, 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 you know, I think one of the things that some traditions use is, you know, they may call it the Maya. People get caught into the Maya. Um, it's the ego that assist you in getting caught into the Maya. Now that is, that is where some people land, but as long as they have awareness, I think the most important thing is awareness. And I want to write, I, I want to talk about um, when you clear away ego myopia, you say it also clears away the drivers of leadership breakdowns. Um, and you, if you would, Talk with us about how the ego creates leadership breakdowns because it does. And you've actually identified key words about what those breakdowns are. Um, and I, and I think those three words that you used in the book are really key, uh, elements of that. And I'm, well, I I'm actually talking about prejudice, anger, anger, and denial. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, the three yeah, blocks. There are a lot of key words in the book, so yeah. Great. But that's but that's the three blocks to wisdom. I think to get to a place where you understand that the ego is driving you, you have to release the prejudices and the anger and the denial. Yeah. So so um, I love that you pulled that out. You know that the ego myopic gets in a way and creates these breakdowns of sort of, you can think of it in three levels, right? And then I'll get into the, the how the, how to correct the ego myopia, but at the organizational level, right? We have ego, uh, we have uh, breakdowns. If you think about, you know, way back in the day, Polaroid was like, Polaroid was like the word was the brand for photography, right? And then Polaroid ignored the changing landscape around them to digital photography and so forth and that what was that that was that was a myopic view that was a bunch of executives sitting around being unwise right not really looking below the surface and beyond the obvious they were too caught in their own arrogance and they thought we were unbeatable and there came iphone and sort of changed their world dramatically right then you have breakdowns that are interpersonal you know Frank and Anne are, you know, the CEO and the CFO are arguing because they disagree about how to implement a certain KPI or, right. And, and now their teams are arguing and now there's discontent between the teams. And now you have wasted time. You have workarounds. People are frustrated. Morale is down. Then you have the personal breakdowns, right? If you've ever felt like I'm an imposter, I just don't belong here. Or if you've ever felt like I, I shouldn't speak up at a meeting, those are, internal sort of egomyopic elements that lead to breakdown breakdown because you're not going to be as efficient or you're going to be micromanaging whatever the case might be so you know the ego is wrapped around these three needs the need to be right right i want to be right i want to be competent i want to be known for how smart i am and what contributions we have the need to be liked i want to be included connected in community seen known and I want to have might. I want to have power, control, authority, autonomy, some ability to influence my environment. And those three needs, the need to be liked, the need to be right, the need to have might, that's where we start getting really uh, unskillful and and um, either too passive, then we pull away, or too active when we are aggressive. And that's where all these breakdowns really begin. It's not about strategy. It's not about ops. It's about people. And it's about these ego needs that are unmet. Uh, yeah, it's so true what you say. I mean, it's, um, you know, they, I think there's one thing that we could say, and that's before you make a comment, you talked about uh, two people deciding about their KPI and having an argument or whatever. The, the key would be to take a deep breath 
and really think about what you're going to say. There's one thing that I could tell people has saved me so many times, and I'm sure you probably as well, is this whole aspect of coming back to ourselves through breathing. You know, just taking a deep breath, taking it in and realizing, you know, what am I saying? And understanding or finding a different way to say it. Um, And you write about the triad for conscious leadership, and you just talked about wisdom, love, power. Can you speak with us about this triad, why it's so important when leading an organization into the future, and why this allows leaders to pursue profits while tending to people's needs? Um, Also, if you would, define wisdom, love, and power from the perspective of a conscious leader. Cool. Um, so I might need to take a couple of minutes to run through these. So um, <laughs> it's okay. Um, <laughs> Wisdom, love, and power are, by the way, folks, I can tell you what page they're defined in the book. They're in the, defined <laughs> in the book. <laughs> right. So I don't have the book in front of me, but I, I'll, I'll roll with it. And okay. Getting to the heart of it. Right. So I do. Do you want me to look it up for you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I got it. I've been thinking about this for a long time. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you have. I'm just kidding. Wisdom essentially is the capacity to perceive sort of at two levels. One is things that are really nuanced, and therefore you have insight, right? And on the other hand is seeing things in a big picture, and that's perspective. And so I define wisdom as seeing below the surface, that's the insight, and beyond the obvious, that's perspective. Uh, You know, Leadership has just become much more challenging over the years. You talked about going to the future, right? But if we just look at the present, it was once kind of a simple set of problems. Like, how do we get more sales? How do we compensate people? The problems then went from simple problems to complicated problems. How do we collaborate with competitors? How do we structure meaningful HR rules, right? As the business grew and the business environment changed, now we're in a world of complexity. How do we navigate multiple territories with multiple tax laws in different countries, right? I don't know. How do we manage a supply chain that's global? Uh, How do we deal with multicultural workforces? So it's not enough to be smart to manage complexity. It requires wisdom, which, as I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, is the ticket for navigating paradox. So wisdom is a requisite element of leading into the future as it's becoming increasingly more complex to lead, not less complex. So then wisdom, let's talk about love, right? Um, Again, in this case, it's twofold. One, it's demonstrating care for people. And it's also listening to your own heart for your callings, your passion, right? That's That's what the heart does, right? It both tends to people And it also has the big dreams for our own life. So from a conscious leadership perspective, I refer to love as giving without expectations. Um, And that really highlights the part of caring for people. You can care for people in an active way by giving them attention, by being compassionate, by encouraging their passions and visions. Or you can even sort of hold the space for love in a passive way, right? By just helping a safe space that people aren't demeaned or isn't, aren't feeling threatened, right? Um, And you probably know this, Greg, but, you know, the number one predictor for maintaining good talent, what, what we call engagement, right? Is a positive relationship with your boss. It has nothing to do with pay, I don't know, ergonomics, free lunches. It has to do with, having a leader who cares, who helps their people grow and learn, and doesn't make them feel bad. So that's love. And by the way, going into the future where the talent market is becoming ever more competitive, feeling feeling cared for and wanting to be engaged is a um, competitive advantage. And then the third one you asked about is power. And I got I really hope I'm going along with what I wrote in the book, but <laughs> I seem to be recalling this. <laughs> you know, power is, uh, in this conversation, doesn't have anything to do with overpowering or controlling or manipulating other people. Um, 
unfortunately, most of us, I want to say all of us, but I don't know if that's true, but almost every person I've ever met has got some wound about power because we've been abused or misused by power uh, in our family of origin, at school, in our professional journey. Um, So the power that I'm referencing is our ability to really show up, to express our skills, our talents, um, to confidently speak up and share what we have, what we have to say. From a conscious leadership perspective, power is the ability to affect change. Um, And I want to add this, and it might be a little bit controversial, but I'm going to say this, that power isn't granted. Power is claimed. Now, before we go too far, right? You have to show some power. You have to show some ability to affect change, be confident, express yourself before other people will give you more power, right? Just think about the last person you promoted to an important role, somebody that you gave more power to, right? Because you gave them a scope of control that's greater. You did it because you saw that they already had some power, so you gave them more power. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that. it's a little controversial because we talk about being empowered and empowering environments, but you know, power isn't granted, power is claimed. You claim power and then more power comes to you. Now, there are environments that are systematically disempowering folks and I'm not defending that in any way, shape or form, but I want people to consider if you want more power, you know, draw on your innate power to begin to have some and more will come to you. Yeah, and I, and I always remember David Hawking, you know, it's power versus force. Right. You know, that came to me and it's not, It is power. You do claim power by your service to others, by your ability to, how do I want to say, connect the dots, helping people understand and making their work more efficient, more effective. And so that's how you really claim power. you know, and, and obviously, I, you, it, these companies are for-profit companies, the ones we've been talking about. Right. And the company has to make a profit. So what they need to do to claim the power, if they're a middle-line manager or an upper manager or whatever it is, is to claim the power by providing tools which are helping everyone else make their job. I don't want to call it always easier. I want to call it more efficient. Um, and th- And that is an important element of power. It's a huge element of power, and 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 I, I know you have you have real experience in this. And the way to empower others is to claim your own power, because once you claim your power, you are less likely to feel small or misused, right? And then what happens with people who are empowered is that they empower other people around them. The challenge is that folks who are not empowered can't empower others. And so we have this kind of, you know, vicious cycle we're stuck in. So, if well, so what's to- the difference between innate power as a primary source of empowerment um, versus what you're talking about, which is power? Can you speak with the people about innate, what innate power is and what it isn't? Great. Okay. Yeah. I love that question. So innate power by definition is inherent, right? Um, it is, it is our natural energy, our inherent sense of value, Uh and from a conscious leadership perspective, it's it's critical, right? It's not a superpower. It's not a power based in title. It's not a power based in, you know, expertise. Uh, it's within you. Innate power is in, within you because you're human. I am firmly convinced that we are born with access to our innate, inherent, natural power. Unfortunately, we are systematically separated from it, Right. As a baby, I got to do what mom wants and dad wants, right? I don't really get to do what I want. I, I, you know, I grow up and go to school and I have to abide by rules and regulations to fit in. In fact, I don't know if they still do it. I think they still do it, right? Schools will give citizenship grades. What is a citizenship grade? It says, how effectively are you complying? How effectively are you, you know, uh, going along with the system around you? And so 
what we have is our innate power is our uniqueness. It's our voice. It's our mm-hmm. skills. It's our gift. It's our energy. And from that comes our confidence and our sense of value. And so I'm not proposing that we kind of throw off the mantle and disrupt everything. I'm proposing that we step forward and be unabashed, unashamed, and uh, persistent in putting on display this beauty, this uniqueness, this talent of who we are. And if yeah, you claim, that, claim your power. Claim your power by just yeah. showing up. By yeah. showing up. Yes. Right? Yeah. What, we, what we've been trained to do is we've been trained to exchange power for comfort. Mm-hmm. For comfort of fitting in. But when you get comfortable, your power dims. Right. And if you want to claim some of your power, you're going to have to play with being uncomfortable because that's the physical sense of breaking from the status quo. Well, be the bright light that you were meant to come into this world and become. Uh, so, you, you know, it's like, hey, it, it, if we're talking about power. It's it takes a recharge uh, to get uh, a Tesla going. Um, and the reality is it's like a recharge. Everybody can use a recharge. This book, by the way, I would call it for many leaders, leadership breakdown is a recharge. It's a way for you to plug back in, look at things differently, change your perspective, not be so myopic, as he was saying, Eric, and this is a way to do it. Now, I love this. Uh, you speak about that presence plugs presence meaning right here and now plugs the power leak of anxiousness okay i get it Uh, because if i'm present i'm not going to be anxious and that inner integrity plugs the power lead of blaming got it if i have high integrity i'm not going to be blaming other people You state that in your training for conscious leadership, you focus on being blameless and not being deceptive, especially self-deceptive. Can you speak about the power leaks and any prescriptions that you would have to help our listeners stay in a state of presence and inner integrity? Um. The power leaks, you know, I'm coming from the premise that we are innately powerful, right? The power is innate to us. And so we don't have to necessarily accumulate it. But what happens is we leak it, right? We leak the power. And to your point, and you pulled it out and it's in the book, anxiousness, the, 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 the leaks I see most commonly for leaders are anxiousness, where you're focusing on the future and you're literally blowing out your energy. People pleasing, right? Where you are so focused on doing things for other people that you're giving your power to them. And blaming, which literally says, I don't have control here, right? Something else is in charge. Something else has the power. And so, as you mentioned, presence, authenticity, and integrity are, to me, the way you plug these leaks. And presence, to your point, and you talked about your meditation teachers, I can't speak enough about the value of learning to meditate. I've been doing this for 37 years now, and I'm still a student, right? I'm still learning to do it. But the capacity to actually be here now, and there's a million apps, teachers, schools, online forums. I mean, you can learn to meditate anywhere, but, and it's not a religious thing. It's really a capacity to plug the leak so that your power rebuilds, recharges to your point. I advise everybody to learn to meditate. I put on two meditation retreats a year. And, you know, I, I can't speak enough about how empowering, literally empowering it is. It is, it is. And I would to, to add to Eric, you know, I just signed up like literally five days ago for meditation retreat, six days in the Orcas Islands, and I will be three days in silence. And it's interesting when you come away from it, how you feel, you know, you're like, you go back into the world, meaning our world, but I don't even call that the real world. When I've been in meditation retreat, feels like I'm coming back to someplace that I don't even recognize, Right. And I encourage everyone listening, if you haven't been to a meditation retreat, Eric, somebody else's, there's plenty of them out there. It's time for you, and maybe I'm using the wrong term, but it is kind of a way for you to unplug from what you believe and plug back into something that gives you a closer connection to who you really are. 
you know, and, you know, it's one thing you don't have to believe everything you think, but I think we go around frequently (laughs) thinking and believing that's what it is. And then our biases and everything else that we've talked about come into play, but you hit the nail on the head. Um, did you want to add more to that? Well, I just think that, you know, the meditation is is such a central key piece. And then, you know, again, in my book, I write a lot more about plugging these these power leaks. But I will just say with the, with the blaming and, and the integrity, we are we kid ourselves and fool ourselves and deceive ourselves all the time. We're, we're, we're irresponsible with ourselves to ourselves. I mean, I give an example in the book, but, you know, I'll say. Today, I'm not going to eat any chocolate because I just want to flush out my system and, and stop the sugar just for a day so I can get a rest. And then I go downstairs because I work at home now, like, you know, so many other people. And in the kitchen, there's a Kit Kat. And I'm like, oh, just a bite of the Kit Kat. And I pop it in because I freaking love Kit Kat. I got to be honest with you. Um, and so, but, you know, did I sin? Is God going to punish me? No, but there's an inner auditor, right? I said, I'm going to refrain from chocolate for the day so I can clean yeah. myself. Act of service and kindness and self-love. And then I just broke down and ate that piece of chocolate. I deceived myself, right? It's such a small example. But there are dozens, if not hundreds of instances. But you're aware of it. See, but, but I, I want to make a point fact. here because my wife's a music teacher and about 15 feet from me on the other side of this wall is a baby grand piano and she teaches kids. She always gives them, she has a candy bowl full, right? But that means that candy bowl is only 15 feet from me. And when you talk about Kit Kats, I was about ready to laugh because it's filled with Kit Kats <laughs> and it's filled with it's filled with Easter chocolate eggs and Reese's peanut butter cups, right? And I'm thinking to myself, boy, I said that yesterday and I did the same thing Eric did. I ate a Kit Kat and I said, no, I wasn't going to go over to that bowl and get some Kit Kats. And so, you know, first of all, your wife obviously has good taste in chocolate, but that is, you know, the Kit Kat is one thing. But what about I promise that I'm going to sit in a meeting and I'm going to not belittle anyone. Well, I'm going to go and I'm going to sit in a strategy meeting and I'm going to really speak my mind. And then I don't Right? all these times when we when we commit to doing something and then we shy away from it or we don't or we break our commitment, we are out of integrity with ourselves. And every time we do that, this ego myopia, the sense that I am not trustworthy because that's what's happening right we have an inner critic and then we have an inner auditor the critic berates us the auditor is measuring us and when we're out of integrity with ourselves our inner auditor is continuously you know uh, grading us as not trustworthy and so by being not trustworthy with ourselves we are not given the full power right we are by definition limiting our own power and become less empowered why because this auditor, like a parent, is not going to give responsibility to somebody who doesn't deserve responsibility. I'm not going to give my kids the car keys if they demonstrate that they drive poorly. I want to see responsibility in them. And then I give them authority and autonomy and power, right? Equally so within. So this idea of inner integrity, being honest with ourselves, being self-aware to begin with, to your point, being self-consistent. you know, consistent, is huge. And until and unless we fix that leak of blaming others for the stuff that we have committed and didn't do, we will remain disempowered. Yeah. You know, this the inner critic is there, right? The inner critic hit you on the head. It's hit me on the head. It hits all the listeners on the head. When you promise to do something and you set an intention and then you break your intention, you don't do it, right? Um, so it's really something when you um, when you break it. And then what happens is it even gets worse, worse because the dialogue goes, well, I wasn't supposed to eat the Kit Kat or I, I promised I was going to lose 10 pounds, but I didn't lose the 10 pounds because I ate too many Kit Kats. But we get it. I think everybody gets it. Awareness, meditation, right? Turning off the inner critic, doing what you'll say you'll do. Okay. And sticking with it. Those are things we're all here to learn. (laughs) Okay. And I'm not certain for how many other people, but I know for me, it's been a challenge. I had a discussion this morning, Eric, my wife was saying, you know, so many people that want to learn piano, but then, you know, they don't commit. 
And the word commit is really one of the strongest words around. If you're going to commit to a Zen practice, well, you're going to commit to do it. If you're going to commit to meditation, you're going to commit. But this whole concept around commitment and then persistence to do it, to want to have it, to have the drive to do it is there. And that brings me to our last question here about your book, which is in summary, you mentioned that we were all disconnected from our soulfulness, that we are also, and we also disconnect from our purpose. Um, So when we're disconnected from our soulfulness, I like the word soulfulness. I thought it was just soul, but soulfulness, Um, purpose, and then we're disconnected from our purpose as well. How... Our listeners take actions necessary, or how would they take actions necessary to make a connection with the soul and find a greater meaningful purpose in their life and business? Because look, this book is for leaders, and it applies both places. You're a leader at home, and you're also a leader at business, and you set examples for your kids by the way in which you act. Everything that we've talked about here applies just as much at home as it does in the boardroom. Um, Because I really don't believe there's any separation between the two, personally. Um, So the first thing I'm going to say is that my premise for writing this book is to cultivate conscious leadership, to your point. Yes, you can be a conscious leader because you're a conscious human. And right. so it does transcend the leadership, right? This is a conscious being. And and my proposal is that in this correcting of the ego myopia, I mean, the ultimate trick of the ego is the sense of separation. I, me, mine, right? You know, uh, I'm smart. I'm funny. This is my strength. This is my musical talent, right? That that this is, or the sort of one of the great ones for leaders. Right? I'm the reason for all my success, which proves to be utter and complete bullshit, right? We are successful totally. <laughs> as a result of a network and an, e- an ecosystem of activities, not the least of which is luck, right? But I, 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 I. So this kind of I, me, I, me, the sense of separate you know, self is the sort of fundamental egomyopic state. And cultivating wisdom and love and power and then aligning them and integrating them is how that ego softens. And I have, you know, we talked about this. It's not about not having an ego, but it's having that the ego be a little more porous, right? So that it's not so fixed and more spacious. So more can come in in terms of concepts and ideas and relationships. And then when you get a little more porous and spacious in the ego, you actually have this sense of connectedness and interconnectedness. Mm. And the result is this greater sense of soulfulness, right? This greater sense of connection. And the invitation here is, you know, don't take my word for it. Do this work and do it in a committed way. But I'm going to, well, to your point about committed, sometimes commitment is very difficult. It's hard. It's disciplined. It's driving. It's it, And then we add more self-criticism and more punishing on ourselves because we didn't meet the commitment that we fell short. I had a huge revelation years ago that was a real game changer for me because I spent decades in this very intense, committed, disciplined life. And I struggled, continued, even though I lived in a community with the teacher and did all this work. Yeah. It dawned on me one day, and this is part of the soulful thing, right? That rather than coming from a place of commitment to my whatever, meditation, wife, job, clients, that I'm coming from a place of specifically in the work for myself, a place of respect, self-respect. This is where love becomes such a big deal. Because when I respect something, I treat it in a particular way. When I really learned self-love and self-respect, which was already soulfulness coming online, but it brings more soulfulness to to bear, right? When I started approaching my meditation practice, less as a discipline or commitment, and more as a way to demonstrate self-love and self-respect, it became a whole lot easier because the things that I love and respect, I treat in a way that demonstrates the love and respect. So, you know, being more connected doesn't have to be more of an effort. It can also be an act of love and wisdom and power right but certainly love is is inherent in there so my invitation is how to be more soulful 
is to learn, understand, apply, and cultivate wisdom, love, and power, soften the ego myopia, and the soulfulness, the connection is inevitable. It's inevitable because we are already in a state of interconnected. We are one with the universe and life and people. And the reason we don't experience it is because we think we're alone and separate. And so when we soften that separation, that soulfulness is inherently the soup within which we're floating. Yeah, and I think that when you respect yourself and you respect others, self-respect, self-love, you're also doing things, meaning taking actions um, with the um, focus on the fact that whatever you're doing to improve yourself is going to improve others as well. In other words, you're, you're out there doing what's necessary. That's the doing versus the being conundrum that people drive into. And I, and I think though, like you came to your epiphany with your going to the mountains and living in seclusion for a year, it was about getting married and having a family and contributing and, you know, that. And I, and I, I want to say one thing about, I know that as our bodies, because we're body, mind, soul, Frequently, the body wants to get to this pace of homeostasis, right? It's like, okay, I'm going to constantly go back and try and find this place. You you use the word effort. I use the word commitment. I think those words are powerful, but I think whatever word you're going to substitute for those two words, there's actually nothing wrong with that because you came to that kind of realization. It's going to take me some commitment to go out and get married, find a wife, get committed, commit to somebody. Married. That's right. And stay married. That's right. So uh, for all of my listeners, look, leadership, oops, I got to get this right. Got to move it. Breakdown is the book. Eric Kaufman is the wisdom behind this book. Um, he has many other books. We'll put a link to the last podcast. Um, but this is how conscious leaders generate breakthroughs that enrich business and the world. Excellent book, Eric. Excellent uh, teachings that I think everybody needs to learn. Go out and get a copy of this. We'll put a link to Amazon. We'll put a link to the website too, like I said, sagata.com. And um, namaste to you, Eric. Thank you for your presence this morning, for hanging in there with me, and for providing our listeners with a great podcast to listen to. Please listen to this podcast with Eric Kaufman on Leadership Breakdown. Thanks, Eric. Thank you, Greg. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.